0: Hi readers, and welcome to episode 30 of Lost the Plot, the Tinted Edges monthly podcast all about books. 30. Wow. That's a lot of episodes. That's one episode for every year I've been alive. Anyway, I'm your host, Ang Harrod, and today our special guests are on the show in a live recording of an actual book launch. Our friend Sean Costello joins us again to launch the second volume of his short story collection Capital Yarns with illustrator Juliet Dudley at Paper Chain Monica.
1: So let's do a little trial run. If I say Susan Boyle, you say... That's the best reaction Susan Boyle's ever had. Thank you.
0: If you want to follow along and find out more information about all the topics discussed in this episode, you can check out the show notes on the Lost the Plot webpage at www.tintededges.com lost dash the dash plot. First, some updates. You might remember a couple of months ago, I talked about the tragic vandalism of the O'Connor Street Library and how someone had generously donated not one, but two new libraries to replace the one that had been destroyed. Well, I'm very sad to say that there has been a tragic update. Someone has set fire to one of the new libraries and thrown it into the stormwater drain. It's a really high traffic area, but it just begs belief why someone would burn a street library. And also, first time I thought, okay, maybe it could have been, you know, some, there could have been perhaps some kind of explanation. Second time, no. Okay, th- these libraries are obviously being targeted. Anyway, I haven't had a chance to see how the remaining street library is going, but I hope that the patrons of O'Connor aren't discouraged and that they keep visiting the library and sharing books. In other sad street library news, Todd Boll, the man who first came up with the idea of Little Free Libraries, has died. There are over 75,000 street libraries registered with Little Free Libraries in 88 countries worldwide, which is an incredible legacy to leave behind. I haven't actually gotten around to registering mine with that website, though it is registered with the Street Library Australia website, so I think it is about time I did so. Now, at the time of release, it's getting close to giving season, so I do want to quickly highlight a few bookish initiatives that you might want to get behind. First and most urgently is World Builders. This is fantasy author Patrick Rothfuss's baby, and every year he holds a fundraiser to raise money for developing countries. Each $10, US dollars, I'm afraid, you donate puts you into a draw to win one of thousands of prizes. You can select what kind of prize you're interested in, and the year before last, I actually won a set of six fantasy books. This year though, the fundraiser is only on for a couple of weeks and it's already started so check it out before 11 December to help raise some money and go into the running to win some prizes. Next is Asia Bookroom's annual Christmas fundraiser to raise money to pay a teacher's wages in Nepal. You can learn more about Lami Sherpa and Asia Bookroom's story by checking out episode 19 of Lost the Plot, and you can donate by dropping by their store in Macquarie and buying a colour coded ornament to hang on the tree up until Christmas. Plenty of book news from back in October, and I've got another episode coming soon, so I will leave November's news for next time. But the big award was the 50th Man Booker Prize, the award for best novel published in English, and it was awarded to Irish-born author Anna Burns for her novel Milkman. The blurb of the novel is as follows, set in an unnamed city, Milkman focuses on middle sister as she navigates her way through rumour, social pressures, and politics in a tight-knit community. Burns shows the dangerous and complex outcome that can happen to a woman coming of age in a city at war. Another Irish writer made the news for winning the Rooney Prize for Irish literature, Catriona Lally, for her novel Eggshells. Eggshells is about an isolated woman who has left her great aunt's house and the prize is worth 10,000 euros. However, the focus on the news wasn't on her award winning debut novel, it was on her day job. Lally works by day as a cleaner, and it's something that the media has fixated on, not least because Lally won the prize from Trinity College, which is where she works as a cleaner as well as where she studied English. I completely get it though. One of the best jobs I ever had was working on a farm baling hay one summer in the UK, and my job was to stick stickers on the bales of hay as they went past me on a conveyor belt. There's something about doing physical labour like that that really lends itself to creative energy, and with all the research coming out about how bad sedentary lifestyles are for us, I'm not surprised that's how she spends her day paying her bills. Anyway. The Prime Minister's Literary Awards Shortlist has been announced, and there are six categories – fiction, non-fiction, young adult, children's literature, poetry, and Australian history – and there are 30 books shortlisted in total. It's hard to say when the winners will be presented, and equally hard to say which Prime Minister will be presenting them, but you can check out the full list in the show notes. Finally, American Public Broadcasting Network PBS announced the winner of America's Best Loved Novel after receiving 4 million votes in the finale of an 8-part series called The Great American Read. The winner was Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird. They compiled a list of the top 100 books, and I'm actually pretty keen to check out the series myself now. Now, in an unusual book discovery, A very old book has been discovered to actually be a fake. The Museum of the Bible in Washington DC in the USA claimed to have 16 fragments from the Dead Sea Scrolls, ancient texts of religious significance. However, German scholars have identified at least 5 of the fragments are fakes. Fake fragments apparently were flooding the market back in 2002, and a bunch of billionaires from Oklahoma called the Green Family, who are, incidentally, also major backers of the museum, apparently started buying them up. They also got into trouble for buying illegally smuggled artifacts from Iraq and had to return them and cough up a $3 million fine. Doesn't sound like it is the most ethical of museums anyway. Let's move on to new releases. There are a few new releases coming out. So Joanne Harris's new novella The Blue Salt Road was released in November. It looks like it's in a very similar style to her book A Pocket Full of Crows and seems to be inspired by the child ballads weaving folklore and her gorgeous brand of storytelling together and I can't wait to get a copy. Australian singer-songwriter Holly Throsby's second novel has been released and it's called Seed of Valley. I'm super excited about this book as well. I loved her novel Goodwood, and this one is set in a nearby fictional town, and sounds like it will also have that kind of small town mystery vibe. I got to see Holly at Muse bookstore recently, and it was a great talk with another local book blogger, Sharon, who runs the Instagram account Where the Books Go. Also an Australian fiction, but not exactly a new release, it is the 100 year anniversary of the Australian classic The Magic Pudding by Norman Lindsay. This wild story about an anthropomorphic pudding is one that I've actually never gotten around to finishing, but with a special 100 year anniversary edition just released, I'm pretty tempted to jump on the bandwagon and give it a go. Lindsay's granddaughter has given an interesting interview about her granddad's story and the historical context of such a unique children's book. Now there are plenty of adaptations coming out, and some more exciting than others. First up is Netflix's announcement to remake the Narnia series. I am very sceptical about this. BBC had a crack at the books in a four-part TV series in the late 80s and early 90s, and actually I particularly enjoyed The Silver Chair, but they didn't do all of them. Then in 2005, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe was made into a successful film followed by Prince Caspian and then The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. However, after the film options expired and people faffed about, the fourth film, which was variously slated to be The Silver Chair and The Magician's Nephew, never came about. On the plus side, though, this is apparently the first time that one company has held the rights to all seven books, so maybe finally, finally, someone will make The Horse and His Boy, which is the best Narnia book, in my opinion, into a film. Tim Winton's Miles Franklin-winning novel Dirt Music is being turned into a film starring some of of my favourite Aussie actors David Wenham and Aaron Pedersen, with the soundtrack apparently being done by the incredible Julia Stone. The story is about a girl who catches and falls for a man who poaches fish in Western Australia. Filming has already started, and I haven't read this one yet, so I might have to have a read in advance. Finally, continuing on the vein of films like book club the bookshop and the public another book themed film is out called book week it's an independent film about the annual aussie tradition of school children dressing up as characters from a book to celebrate book week and it looks very very independent with limited screenings so check out their facebook page and see if you can find one near you now the book crime was pretty out of control in october a religious activist Uh, don't they call those terrorists? Anyway, a religious activist from Iowa in the USA, who is anti-LGBTIQ and anti-abortion, hijacked a pride festival to burn actual library books. This guy, who is also anti-sex education, anti-everything I think, really, he burned four children's books that have LGBTIQ themes in them after checking them out from the Orange City Library. Iowans have fundraised to replace the books, and at the time of release, the man, his name is Paul Dorr, has been charged with misdemeanor criminal mischief, and he's refused to pay to replace the books. I just... burning library books, I just... I can't... I can't even... I have no words. Anyway. In another outrageous book crime, it was widely reported that a Russian man living in a remote station in Antarctica stabbed his colleague because his colleague kept spoiling the endings of books he was reading. The two men had been living there together for four years, and it seemed like this was the final straw. It hasn't been confirmed that the victim was in fact spoiling the books, and I in no way condone violence. But if he was spoiling the endings, I can a little understand being that angry about it. Finally, because I always like to end book news on a high, there was a gorgeous story in Southampton in the UK. When a bookshop called October Books found itself unable to afford the rent after rent increases, they were forced to move their shop. The new premises was 150 meters away, and in order to move 2,000 books, 250 people rallied together to make a human chain and move the books by hand from the old shop to the new. Now, speaking of local bookshops, it's time for the main part of this month's podcast, a live book launch in the local bookstore, Paper Chain in Monica. Everyone, we might get started. That's all right. Oh, that works well. All right, hi everyone. My name's Ang Harriet. Um, I am a podcaster of the podcast Lost the Plot, and I also do the book blog Tinted Edges. And um, so we've got this evening. We've got Sean Costello, who's obviously the author of Capital Yarns Volume Two. And we've got. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and we've got. I think someone
1: just injured themselves.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're not covered, so just let you know. <laughs> um, and we've got Juliet Dudley, who is the illustrator. Um, so just before we get started, I just wanted to take a second to acknowledge that we're on Ngunnawal country and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. So um, I guess we might kick off in the style of Sean's podcast. So, we, should, we
1: should probably warn people, we are recording tonight, so we'll be throwing open for audience questions, I think. But...
0: Yeah, I was, yeah, so I was going to say that. So... Um, we are doing a recording for my podcast and for Sean's podcast, and in the style of Sean's podcast, which is uh, basically you and occasionally your children and friends and... Often
1: and more than me, yes. Yeah, yeah,
0: um, narrating them, narrating your short stories, so we thought we might get started with a bit of a reading from the new book, Volume 2.
1: Cool, thank you, Harry. Thank you, everyone, for coming, and thank you for all the wonderful support this book's had. I'm very grateful to you. As someone else um, said to me tonight who's... Has in, been involved in a few um, Crowdfunder books. It's our book. It's not my book. <laughs> so the story I'm going to read for you is a bit of a taster. It's on page 25 of the book. It's called a Susan Boyle Christmas Carol. Um, not I'm not sure if everyone's aware, but generally my stories come about because someone has to nominate three items, and then I've got to weave those three items into a story set in Canberra. So um, to try and have some audience participation, or as I think Juliet described earlier, drinking game. Uh, with a live audience, Um, I'm not going to ask you to scull your wine, what I'm going to ask you to do is if I name one of the three items, you're going to hold me to account, keep me honest. I need you to make a bit of a sound to acknowledge that I've Upheld my end of the bargain, and I've included one of the items nominating the story.
0: I think, in the spirit of the front cover of the book, you should everyone should make an owl sound. Oh, that's a great (laughs) idea! It's a great (laughs) idea,
1: (laughs) excellent. Yes, and we'll all collectively find out what sound an owl makes as well. (laughs) So we can do a trial run. So the story we're going to read is called a "Susan Boyle Christmas Carol." It's Christmas, so I felt like an appropriate time to do it. And the items that were nominated for this story were a water tank, Susan Boyle, and a ten thousand piece puzzle. So, let's all try trial run. If I say Susan Boyle, you say... Woo-hoo! That's the best reaction Susan Boyle ever had. <laughs> Thank you. So, um, I'll pick the story up a couple of pages in just to, to, to keep things moving. Basically, we've got a brother and sister having a bit of a fight at the back of the car. Things perhaps aren't going as well as they might for this family this Christmas time. Um, and the, the particular thing they've had a fight about is whether Santa Claus still exists. So, that's probably the key fact to know as we come into this part of the story. Hours later, Tracy stirred in bed, unable to sleep. This new small room felt cramped and alien. Kevin's snores filled the air as did the squeaking noise the air mattress made each time he rolled over. Fed up, she quietly rolled out of bed and tiptoed out into the lounge room. At first blinded by the light, she at last saw mum at the dining table, hunched over their old notebook computer. Over mum's shoulder, Tracy saw a flow of numbers on the screen. As she moved closer, mum clicked on an email message staring at it for a moment before putting her head in her hands. Tracy knew Mum would be angry that she was up, but anguish filled her body and she put out a hand and gently patted Mum's shoulder. She looked up in shock, tears running down her cheeks. Tracy expected her to start yelling, but instead she wrapped her arms around her. As she buried her face in Tracy's arm, Mum did something even more surprising. I've done something really dumb, Trace, she said, giggling. Tracy's stomach churned. What? Mum pulled away, her face still red and wet. For the first time, Tracy noticed the wrinkles around her eyes, accentuated by her squinting to hold back more tears. I've bought a Christmas tree. They stared at each other before both simultaneously breaking into fits of laughter. It filled the room echoing around the walls. Shh, mum began trying to speak through her giggles. You'll wake your brother. It felt good to see mum laugh, to laugh with her. Why were you crying about buying a Christmas tree? Mum took a breath, trying to regain her composure because we can't afford it, kiddo. I should have done my maths before I did. Turns out we might have a Christmas tree on Christmas Day, but there won't be any lights on it. Tracy stared at her, confused. We won't have any power, Mum continued. I only realized after I ordered the tree on eBay that we can't afford the connection fee. They'll cut us off if we don't pay. Candles could be fine on Christmas Day, Tracy offered. Mum nodded. Yeah, that's true. We can't cook anything, but we can work that out later. It'll be a hot day, maybe we can have a picnic. Tracy recalled a documentary she'd seen at school on deserts and a sudden terrifying thought occurred to her. Will we have water? Mum smiled and nodded. Yep, even your mother can't stuff that up. The house has a rainwater tank. (laughs) So if nothing else, we can drink as much water as we like. The tree arrived just in time on Christmas Eve. In the rush to leave their old house, Mum had grabbed some random boxes and they discovered one of them held their Christmas ornaments. As was customary, after dragging the box containing the tree and the ornaments into the lounge room, their mother put on her favourite Christmas CD. "'Susan Boyle!' (whistles) "'Again, really?' exclaimed Kevin. "'It's fitting this year,' Mum replied, smiling. "'It's called Home for Christmas, and that's what we are.' "'This isn't our...' Kevin began, but Tracy nudged him aside before he could continue. She glared at him angrily. It's better than the last place, she hissed quietly. Mum was swaying and singing to jingle bells and seemed not to hear. Kevin discovered a plastic ornament he had made. It featured the three of them, as well as a tall man with dark hair. Is it okay if this goes on the tree? Mum took the ornament from him and stared at it for a long time. That's our family, Kevin. Or at least it was, Mum said at last. Of course you can put it on the tree. Once the tree was dressed, Mum plugged in the lights and they all stood back, ready to admire the lit up tree. Ready, she said, smiling. Both children nodded. She pressed the button. The lights on the tree lit up with dizzying effect. A second later, they flicked out again. Mum played with a switch in her hands. These cheap lights, she began. Tracy touched her arm and pointed upwards. The ceiling lights are off too. Reality slowly dawned on Mum as she looked around the room, realising every electrical appliance was now off. Oh, no, they've turned the power off early. What's going on? Kevin asked, confused. Who has turned the power off? Honey, how do you like the sound of a candlelit dinner? Mum asked, putting her arm around him. Later, after the family had spent most of the evening finding and lighting candles, Tracy lay in bed awake. She realised she couldn't hear her brother snoring. Before she could roll over to check on him, he spoke. Hey, Trace, you awake? He whispered. Yeah. She glanced over to see he was staring up at the ceiling. Is it okay if I still believe in Santa Claus? It took Tracy a moment to remember their conversation in the car. Of course it is. I'm sorry about what I said. I don't know if he's real or not. Kevin kept staring upwards. What are you going to ask him for? Tracy prompted. Kevin didn't reply. At last, the silence defeated Tracy. And she felt compelled to speak again. I lied in the car, Kevin. I do believe in Santa. I'm hoping he will bring me a big, difficult puzzle we can all do together on Christmas Day. One of those 10,000 piece ones. (laughs) Of a famous place we can imagine traveling to like Rome or Greece. Immediately after she uttered her words, Tracy heard a faint ringing sound like bells chiming. Before she could consider the sound further or locate the source, Kevin replied, I'm hoping Santa will bring dad back to live with us. Tracy sighed, I'm not sure Santa can do that. You're probably right. There may be a cricket set. Tracy again heard the same chiming sound. She focused on the noise, trying to identify the source. It sounded as if it traveled a long way. She lay back on her pillow, fell asleep, still considering that sound. You'll have to buy the book to find out.
0: (laughs) Thanks so much, Sean. So I think probably, now I understand that your volume one of your book is basically sold out. Yeah, I've had a
1: few people ask tonight. It basically is sold out. So
0: I have a copy. Limited edition No, you can't have it. It's mine. Get your own. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think looking at these two, they don't really look the same. Do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about some of the differences between volume one and volume two?
1: Sure. Well, one of the obvious differences is Juliet's awesome cover. Yeah. Yeah, How cool is that? I know we're going to talk some more about how that came about. Um, The shape's different, obviously, as well. So for those listening at home, uh, the first... Book is more of a coffee table square style book. Yep. Um That one was um, a bit of fun. Really, it was came about because lots of people said they prefer to read stories in um, printed form rather than online. Um, and I never thought for a second it'd end up in a bookstore anywhere, which is where we are today. Um, it did, and so this time round I went to the booksellers and said, um, so how did you find that first format? And they said, wasn't great, sure. We don't really like square books, actually, <laughs> as it turns out. Could you go for something a bit more traditional? So, obviously, this one is, I think it's described as a C format paperback, I now know, for those playing at home. Um, and so, yeah, it's more of a traditional, a bit more shelf friendly. If you look around this store, you'll probably see plenty of books of that sort of format. So, yeah so yeah friendly. so
0: they're different shapes they're also different colors what about on the inside are they much different on the inside
1: I can, well i'd like to think the second one's better than the first one um as i said the the idea of a couple of yarns came out well it came out in a very 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 amateur place i suppose and my two children here here tonight didn't sleep very well and so we came up with the idea that they would give me three items and then i'd tell them a bedtime story with those three um, and then when i wanted to commit to doing some creative writing Longer term, it made sense to sort of throw it open to the world and um, pretty passionate about Canberra. And so I wanted to do it and sort of display the city in a more positive light. Um, but so those those yarns sort of were written, I'd say, probably in a more rushed way and, and were probably me finding my feet a little bit. Um, they were wonderfully edited by some friends that are here tonight, looking at a few of them now. So thank you to those that did. But um, this time round, one of the really big improvements um, is that Susan Roberts, who's here tonight as well, um, did a wonderfully professional job of editing the stories. Um, As I was reading that excerpt, actually, Suzanne, I was thinking that there was a part in that uh, story that Suzanne actually came back to me and said, maybe you might want to tweak that little part there to say something a little different. So that's just, um, as well as sort of having that nice polish to them, uh, there was that wonderful feedback as well that Suzanne provided. So I think hopefully a much more professional product.
0: Well, and they're arranged differently as well, so in the first book, you just sort of have your collection of stories, I I don't know if they were in any particular order.
1: No, I'm looking at my wife Mel, who's my collaborator, can you remember if we... I think they were friendlier at the start. Yeah, the the idea was that they'd sort of um, get a little darker as you went, but... Certainly, I think p- part of the backstory meant that people were buying that first book thinking it was uh, a collection of children's stories, and then getting a little bit shocked when they started reading them, perhaps, to the kids. <laughs> so, uh, picking up that feedback, this time around, uh, on the contents page, as you've said, uh, m- much more well-organised into age-appropriate um, places, and so at the start of the book, we, we, it's clearly marked, and um, there's even a little um, public notice at the beginning. <laughs> there, the stories for the younger children, and as you go through... Uh, they become more adult. Um, I was trying to make Suzanne blush all the way through and she kept mm-hmm. going back and saying, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. But I think that last story, the bit with the cat, <laughs> no, was no. it the cat? Well, that
2: was
0: only the cat torture that really got Yeah, so, yeah. so <laughs> Suzanne's got a limit and that
1: threshold is cat torture. So I, I, I would hope
0: that that's most people's limit. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I
1: found found some way to make the <laughs> blush in there. So, yes, so that gives you an indication of where we go. We finish with cat torture, obviously. Yes. Yes. Awesome.
0: Well, um, so speaking of animals, um, I want to talk a bit about the cover, and obviously for people who aren't here and they're listening um, I'll put a photo up, but uh, essentially, you know, you've got quite an interesting design, you've got um, Susan Boyle, some police tape, chicken wing, or chicken drumstick, um, a magpie, and you've got this iconic owl, known to some, I believe, as the penis owl. Do you guys want to maybe talk to me a bit about the process that went into the cover design and sure. how you ended up with Do you want to start with, with one? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: so I was just trying to remember some of the different concepts that we have, uh, that we went through. So I guess we started with about three different concepts, throwing around some ideas. Um, and I guess the first step was, um, had a meeting, yeah, with Sean and he gave me a list of some of those, um, items that he, like the prompts, um, from the story. So then I used that. Um, did a bit of research, came up with some mood boards, as we say in design, Um, and yeah, I guess we, um, I did, so I did three different rough concepts, um, and then we narrowed it down to this one, and then it was just a matter of um, playing around a bit with colours and the composition, and how it was going to flow around onto the back cover as well, Um, and then yeah, I guess the decision... That was probably more your decision to feature the owl, I guess, in terms of deciding on the... I'm
1: not concept. sure what that says about me. I <laughs> um,
2: well, I guess also in terms of the... Yeah, the composition, um, I guess probably most... Some people, I don't know, I assume most people would notice, but that it's not factually correct with the Telstra Tower in the background. But, um, yeah, it just seemed um, like the right kind of thing to do. So there's a bit of... Um, yeah creative freedom in there <laughs> yeah it's like... a bit
0: more of a I guess a Canberra collage yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and the cup of the color palette I mean I think all three concepts had a, had a similar color palette but that, yeah. that color palette really appealed Do you want to talk a little bit about where yeah. that came from that really um,
2: cool? so I guess um, I suppose if you if you were to walk past the the owl on a on a cloudy winter Canberra day you'd just be it'd be a a vision of grey um but I guess I sort of grew up in Belconnen and I have a soft spot for you know Belco pride um so I wanted to try to reflect um how I picture Belconnen which is like beautiful sunsets over Lake Jandera and that kind of thing so um I guess that was one reason why I went for the sort of sunset um colour palette And then also um, when we first met up, um, part of the reason that Sean um, was sort of drawn, excuse the pun, to my work was um, a a recent project that I did with the um, City Renewal Authority for um, some postcards for a pop-up event in Braddon and um yeah one of those artworks used a similar palette so um yeah quite bright colors and I do enjoy working with those kind of colors as well so it all kind of just seemed to fit together
0: yeah yeah that's awesome and so I know that another difference between the two books is that in Capital Yarns you've sort of got like full page photography whereas in this book um each story begins with a little illustration that you've done um do you want to just walk me through how you kind of decided on which illustration to do for each story. Yeah. So
2: basically, um, I sort of touched on it a little bit earlier, but Sean gave me a list of, it was pretty much a list of potential Potential items that, that might come up. And, and I, I almost did it, um, sort of in, in one go. I just sat down. Um, so I forgot to mention, this is all done digitally on the iPad with the Apple pencil. So I work these days, I mostly work with, um, like, digital techniques just because, especially um, for non-personal work, when there's going to be, um, you know, several rounds of changes, it's a lot easier to edit on the computer. So, yeah, so I sat down on the iPad and I just looked at the list and I went through and I just basically did a bit of a brain dump and all just of, did a lot of the sketches. Yeah, yeah, and, Susan, and, the well, result, and the result was, I, I think the result of doing it pretty quickly was that they came out as in a kind of like sketchy naive kind of style and I was really happy with that um so good like the writing (laughs) yeah so um that's basically that's basically the story behind those ones um and I guess from the beginning um yeah we talked about having the little chapter um like motif little icons um but just given that it's a different format and everything this time
0: yeah yeah and I think a lot of them are quite I guess quite playful yeah kind of work together especially the earlier stories that are very you know child friendly and child yeah yeah
2: I think also in the style um just because I saw the stegosaurus (laughs) you were flicking through yeah um I I guess I tried to um have a little bit of a sense of humor in in some of them as well um hence why I didn't like Susan Boyle for example I didn't try to Beautify her. I just tried to, yeah, make it cartoonish and fun.
0: So yeah. yeah. So I guess speaking of a sense of humor, I do want to talk Sean a little bit about the, um, I guess the themes of the story, So I, I did feel in Volume One, uh, it generally had like a much more, I'm trying to think of a way to say it, uh, I guess a more positive, upbeat kind of vibe. Whereas Volume Two, I think um, it it does feel like it's got a little bit of a different flavor. Do you want to kind of talk to us a bit about i guess the overall vibe of the book that you were going for
1: yeah um i remember we had that conversation on your podcast and you said you had an uplifting vibe and i was yeah. a disappointed with that. so maybe, maybe you challenged me oh, to was be disappointing. darker um, oh, okay. <laughs> i think probably the first one was a bit of a i'd, I'd participated in um a human bracer campaign for visit canberra which was about promoting canberra online and i think the first one maybe had a little bit too much of the Canberra Pride's good, but you can go at the top. <laughs> and so this time I wanted to be a little bit more um, interesting, I suppose, tell more yeah. interesting stories. And I think to make short stories interesting, sometimes they have to have that sort of darker edge to them. So I was probably concentrating more on the sort of themes and writing and less on the promoting of Canberra than probably the first one, which might be why it's got that different feel to it.
0: Yeah, I think I, I definitely felt like in volume two, it's a little bit more about the people in their stories rather than, I guess, the place of Canberra yes. um, you know, and I did feel uh, actually I guess in terms of story structure I felt like you were a bit more adventurous in some of the ways that you told your story it wasn't necessarily like the linear um, you know text 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 end but you you know one of them I think uh, it was actually one of my favourites actually I think it's listen for the conspiracy theory where it's sort of told with bits of random documents and stuff and you kind of have to extrapolate from because everybody is sort of writing letters or writing correspondence to this man, and you never hear the man's voice, but you get a real strong sense of what his story is and what's been going on. Um, yeah, I yeah. Think, so, uh, a definitely,
1: definitely trying to be a bit more adventurous, try different things. Yeah. Um, I think the characters still try to be very um, Canberra people, yeah. but um, probably yeah, less less promoting the place and the the, the sort of um, iconic things that they might interact with, and more. Um, just trying to paint characters that live in Canberra, the sort of people that live in Canberra, a whole lot of different sorts of people that, that call Canberra home, but always troppy trying to overcome a little bit of the stereotypes. There's no, you know, politicians in here. Um, there's not much happening in Parliament House. Trying to try to tell the story of the things that happen day to day in the city more so than the things you might see on the national news.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think another one of my favourites was um, Hey Sister. I really enjoyed, and I, I, I thought... Um I don't know, I, like, I guess I thought that story in particular was again a little bit more subtle and a
1: little bit more... And it's probably a bit dated now, so there's a twist at the end of that story which isn't quite a twist anymore. Yeah. But I wanted to include it because I did. I liked it as a story and it's sort of a, a sort of nice to capture, I don't want to keep the ending away, but a particular time in Australia and New Zealand's relationship perhaps, when New Zealand was a little bit further in front of us on some things. And so yeah. it was sort of um, nice to play with that relationship. The person who requested it was a, um, Personally, grew up in Wellington and then moved to Canberra, oh, and so she had quite a unique take on the two cities, and so trying to explore some of that, things we have in common and, and things we um, didn't yeah. have in common at the time the story was written.
0: And that one had five items. It did, yes. Which was was yeah. an
1: extra special because i was i was actually um trying to make my holiday to wellington tax deductible no I was, going, <laughs> I was going on a holiday to wellington and i and i just said you know i'd love to hear from anyone in wellington or in canberra who'd be, who'd be willing to nominate a few extra items and give me give me something which is very Sorry. welltonian
2: yeah.
1: um and so she threw in a few extra ones and they were her favorite things that she remembered from wellington so for those that have been flying flying down um uh, the the mountainside in a, in spaces no wider than your car and mountain biking and the red cable car that goes up to the botanic gardens and Belle Shakespeare in the Botanic Gardens. So those were things that were a favourite for her in Wellington and so there we've through the books. That's the only sort of non Canberra one but there is definitely a very it's called Hey Sister and it's about the sister relationship between Wellington and Canberra.
0: But it did start in Canberra.
1: Started in Canberra and and sort of alludes to a finish in Canberra perhaps. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And so I guess you've got Volume One, you've got Volume Two. Do you think there'll be a Volume
1: Three? I didn't think there was going to be a Volume Two. I didn't think it was going to be a Volume One. So right, I don't okay. know. <laughs> thank, so thank everyone for making Volume Two happen. Um, maybe we'll see. I, I like writing. I, I um, have no illusions that I should give up my day job. Um, and my boss is here, so it's okay I'm not to be on my day um, depends um, how many copies she buys. <laughs> <laughs> might be a sign. Um, uh, but I, I enjoy writing, so I'll. I'll I'll keep throwing them out there, and if there's enough good ones for another volume, that'd be that'd be great.
0: Yeah, are you guys working on anything at the moment? Any more future collaborations, maybe? No, that'd be fun. Yeah, Yeah. why not?
1: (laughs) We should talk. Is Juliet? Have you got any big projects in the offering that you wanna Um,
2: spruce? So I work as a graphic, like I run my own graphic design and illustration business. So I've always got. Graphic design, sort of client work. I'm just trying to think. about co- been... yeah, studio. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say that. That was on my list. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry, I didn't right. get there. the writing um, was too small. <laughs> I'm just, yeah. You've I'm moved into
1: some new space. Yeah, so
2: moved into um, Keep, which is a co working space out at Derry Road. So there's a bunch of other, yeah, photographers, designers, and other creative types out there. So that's going well. Um, I'm just, at the moment, I'm trying to just wrap up everything for this year. So I haven't really thought too far ahead into next year but uh, I've I've always got I've got a perpetual mental list of all these side projects that I want to do so it really just depends on which one becomes available into my
0: schedule first so <laughs> yeah Are you going to be doing any writing over the summer holidays do you um, think? I
1: think? I think you might be alluding to a um, manuscript for a novel that I have Harry thank you, I you may, for popping I me a couple be, of times on I that. I may be alluding to that Yeah so I will be <laughs> probably cleaning that one up um, and um, and thank you for Reading it for me as well, um, and seeing where that goes. Um, that's a that's a um, a sort of different project, set partly in Canberra and partly in the Snowy Mountains, um, bringing together lots of family histories, my sort of heritage, and Italian, and um, and growing older and, and thinking back to our to younger days. And so, yeah, I look, I'll keep polishing that up and, and see where that goes. Be nice, yeah.
0: Um, so, does anyone from the audience have any questions for Sean or for or Julia John,
1: yeah. or for Harry?
0: Oh, well, you know, I don't have a book on the table, so. <laughs> I've always wanted to
2: know, Sean, when you write the stories, do you think
1: of the person who's requested the items? Oh, or good question. That, that sounds like a Dorothy, know? Trish, because, yes, I do. I always do. <laughs> do I, really? I figure if the person who requested it likes it, well, that's at least one person who might like it. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> often, often I'll try and do a little bit of digging into the um, person who's requested it. Particularly, the theme might, you know, um, there's something here with a slightly sort of political theme. I probably want to hopefully hit the mark for the for the person. So um, yeah, often I will do a bit of digging into it. And there's one in here um, that came about in in, an on-air interview I did with Adam Shirley on Triple Six Canberra. And you'll notice there is a character called Adam in that story. And so again, Mm -hmm. sort of pitching to the person who requested the story. Not sure if he's happy of how I described him. He's not here tonight, so so maybe not. No, not yet. So he's not here mark hello hi sean <laughs> i have two questions um i'm worried who then uh who put the request in about the cat torture story <laughs> <laughs> i'm just gonna check the items no, actually, no. Cat, cat, cat torture wasn't one of. The, actually the scary thing about that story is that us not look at dorothy but the scary thing about the story is it was requested by a primary school friend of mine and one of the items he nominated was our old primary school. He didn't nominate Cat Torture, but somehow, I don't know what Freudian people might want to make of that, but that's that's where I went with it. Yeah. You take a bunch of comfort in that, Sean. Yeah. Um, the is just how do you how do you manage your time? Because I know you lead a very busy life, and you guys are always on the go as a family. How do you discipline yourself to actually get the time to be creative? Uh, and get this all
0: out. Are you like me and you just sacrifice housework? (laughs) (laughs) My family
1: won't want to hear that. Uh, No, no chance. My family are very supportive and they're all here tonight, Jocelyn, Bree and Bell, so that helps give me that time. Um, It is using a different part of your brain to work. Um, I've just had the novel come about because I've just had six months long service leave, which um, public servants are lucky enough to have. So um, that was just... I didn't think I could write a novel and work, and so I just... Threw myself into that for six months. Um, but for a short story, um, what I try to do is just set aside a chunk of time. Um, again, big shout out to the boss who's agreed to me working part time hours. So Friday afternoons is writing time now. So I'll try and devote some time to capital yarns in those hours um, and just um, have the discipline to say, well, that's writing time. And then, yeah, um, try and leave some time for the family to do family things as well. Nick, hi. Sean. <laughs> uh, I asked you this question about your first book a couple of weeks ago, but uh, do you have a have a favourite story of the ones in your second book? In this one? Yes. Um, probably a story called Black Holes, which has had a few, um, I think I mentioned to you earlier, Nick asked me what the oldest story in the book was, and I think it's probably that one, it's been around for a while, and it's been edited and re-edited and refined over the period. but. Um, I, I probably judge them by what I have in my mind when I start out to do. And sometimes I don't go anywhere near that. And that's the ones that, you know, end up on the floor. Um, but that was one where I sort of, particularly the versions in the book, probably um, sort of did what I wanted to do with it. Yeah.
0: Does anyone else have any more questions?
1: Steve? Who the is a stories. Steve? Steve, who's a genuine published real author. Yes, Steve. I have to say there are stories that didn't make the cut. Yeah, look. <laughs> um, and my so I sort of had two editors of this book. Suzanne was the was the um, final formal editor, but my wife Mel, who's trying not to draw attention to herself now, um, was was the first collaborator. Um, and I should say that's what's really cool about this project is it I feel like it, the best thing about it is that even the stories are crap. Um, it's cool to collaborate with people like Harry and Juliet, and Suzanne and Mel, and others, and all of you, and those who requested the stories. Um, but we had a, we sort of had a long list of about twenty, I think, um, which was way too many to put in the book. And then we try to just try to find some enough, as Harry said, difference and in interesting and experimental structure of the stories. So they were all have? I think we've decided over sixty written. Is that right? So yeah. 13, Thirteen. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. Uh, I think about 14, in the last one, yeah. So so half of them end up on the ground. And often that might be because there's, they're too <coughs> samey, you know, too same in structure, too same in themes. They're just not very good. Yeah. yeah. How, what do you do? How, do you, how many stories I have you got on the floor? A, the editor comes back and says, This is crap. <laughs> 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 Can I recommend Suzanne to you? She's published a piece of anthology,
0: Question. I
1: was. You've had a lot, obviously a lot of three items thrown at you, and they there's often a discontinuity between the three items. Which people? Oh, like I think to people, select? Yes. What's I think, been your biggest challenge? I, well, the one I just probably read. Um, I I always feel like the water tank in the Susan Ball story doesn't quite doesn't quite <laughs> fit.
0: It's right? a bit shoehorned in. Yeah. So <laughs> the
1: the puzzle often so, so usually what happens is I get the three items, and one of them will spark a little idea, and then off I go. Sometimes there's one in here called Delusions of Grandeur, which I had that idea I had bouncing in my head for a while, and I was just trying actually trying to find items that fit it, but that's unusual. But yeah, so the Susan Boyle one, Susan Boyle, Susan Boyle CD, Christmas, great. Let's go with that. Ten thousand piece puzzle, that's a Christmas present, great. Let's go with that. Well, what do I do with this water tank now? Mm-hmm. So having started, to write, often I'll just dive into the story and start writing it, and then realise I'm gonna have to somehow shoehorn this water tank in here somewhere. So yeah, so. Um, Two, two is usually easy, often the third is a hard one to, to keep up, but particularly when people I think as more and more requests have come in, have deliberately tried to really throw some curveballs at me, yeah.
0: Are you still accepting requests? I am,
1: yes, please, if yeah, I'm uh, Everyone fled Sean with requests. Yes, please do. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a bit of a backlog, I should say. I owe both my kids two or three stories each, I think, because they, they just yell out items from the back of the car and the <laughs> demand story in the next 10 minutes, so I uh, owe you guys some stories.
2: children's stories Sean are you going to do those separately or the, the ones that you did last year about Father Christmas and some of the other
1: ones yeah so this has got a thanks mum no, <laughs> Mom, uh, she likes the kids' I stories. I
2: trying to be incognito and ask oh. Mum gets a
1: mention on the back about too many swear words. which so oh, I for haven't the kids seen stories. it.
2: No, okay. not too many swear words. Not like, <laughs> not like the, um, yeah, that story about the uh, rollerbladers. Roll rollerbladers, that was in and the, the last one. was look. the first story in the book. Too of, much swearing? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah same. <laughs> no, no, the children's stories, yeah. I, I love those <laughs>
2: and, and I just... Are you going
1: to do those? So we, we try to do a bit of a range here for all ages. So the first couple are for kids and then we get more adult. Um, maybe. Um, I'm not lovely. sure I've got enough.
2: lovely. I
1: enjoyed reading those. I, I probably feel like I don't have enough good shouldn't stories to do just justice and them. Well, but, you know, you do you do know
0: an illustrator? I do right? know an illustrator. <laughs> maybe maybe could she could fix up my story. Yeah,
1: we should do yeah. If I cut yeah, the words yeah. out and you add the illustrations, maybe they'll be a little yeah. bit better.
2: Let's spread it out. Yeah, let's you do know, that. Two words on a page. Yeah, let's yeah.
1: do that. Big big picture, two words. That sounds good to me. Lots yeah. of illustrations yeah.
0: and
2: yeah. a
0: little yeah. bit of text. Yeah,
2: that's <laughs> <laughs> <No>, fine. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> uh, so, did anyone else have any more questions? Sean, are you going to be signing some I books? I will be for signing people? books, please
1: come see me. Um, the, the instructor at Paper training, if you just post signage, you can take it up to the register. Um, they would be grateful for that. But yeah, love to sign up for those. <laughs> Thank you, please. There's more wine and food and um, enjoy. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for your support. Thank you, Juliette, and thank you, Harry.
0: That was author Sean Costello and illustrator Juliette Dudley at the live book launch for Capital Yarns Volume 2. You can pick up a copy at all good Canberra bookstores or order a copy on the Capital Yarns website. Now, the end of the year is starting to get very close, so I've upped the ante to try to meet my reading goal of 80 books. I read six in October, and some were actually very good. I finally got through a Man Booker Prize winner after my very poor attempt at the Man Booker 50 challenge earlier this year, and I read Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. Historical fiction about the Tudors is very popular right now, but Mantel's interpretation is excellent. I'm not huge on political drama, but even I was transfixed, and it was very enjoyable. I also read Crazy Rich Asians, which at the time of publication I haven't reviewed yet on the Tinted Edges blog, but it was really good fun. Having been to some pretty incredible weddings in Singapore and Indonesia, I can say it is definitely not an extraordinary premise, and it was good fun reading a romance that is a bit more diverse. I also read last episode's guest Karen Warren's eerie horror novel The Grief Hole, which is a unique and unsettling look at depression and the motivations behind doing good. Finally, the set book for my feminist fantasy book club was uprooted by Naomi Novik, which is a wonderful retelling of traditional Polish folklore. Although there were some parts in the book that were a bit slow, overall it was a rollicking story with lots of magic and strong women, and I'm really looking forward to reading more of Novik's work. Alrighty, readers, that's it from me. I'll be back soon with another book-themed topic and with lots of book news and book reviews. If you want to support this podcast and help to keep it on air, check out the Patreon page where you can support Lost the Plot for as little as a dollar an episode. You can also follow The Tinted Edges' Facebook page to keep up to date with upcoming book events. You can leave a review on iTunes or subscribe to The Tinted Edges' website. Thanks so much for listening.